With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's the Title IX Podcast on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. I'm Steph Copley, and we're joined by Elisa Woods via FaceTime tonight, Jared. Is that right? Yep. Hey, Elisa. Hey, what's up? How are you? I'm fab. I'm tired, but I'm fab. You said no caffeine today? No caffeine today. I, um, I've i never been a caffeine person. Well, I was a caffeine person until college, and then college I started to get like heartburn all the time. This is a story that you did not ask for, but I'm giving <laughs> to you. What else is new? Um, and I used to drink just so much Diet Pepsi, and so I stopped, and I stopped getting so much heartburn. So that's been, you know, three or four years since college. Um, just a couple. More than that. Yep. Um, and so I just decided that with kid number two, I needed some caffeine. And I think that it's making him real grumpy. So we're trying to cut it out again. And, and so that's my story. No, well, I'm we're recording tired. late on Monday night. So if I need to wake you up, just tell me and I'll scream at you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Jared can see me. So if I do, if I start to doze, Jared, just give me a. Sounds good. Before we do anything, we need to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Ivy College of Business at Iowa State. Elisa, um, I had a conversation with Anna Florzak for a Where Are They Now column, and um, she is a former Ivy College of Business graduate in 2010, and she's actually getting honored this year as one of their outstanding alumna. So I just did your shout out for you. I love it. But you can still do it for fun. Can you do it? Thank you. That was really weak. (laughs) So thanks to the Ivy College of Business at Iowa State. So we have a pretty packed podcast tonight. Um, Elisa and I wanted to talk about the Zoom call that we did for the the Patreon, the high-level Patreon members with Sage Rosenfels. Um, And then, Elisa, I want to talk to you about your two favorite sports, NASCAR and baseball. Oh, I do love baseball. NASCAR. NASCAR. I could get into it, I think. Well, I I think you could, too. Um, and then you mentioned you want to talk a little bit about the WNBA? Yeah, I have a couple, two different things okay. that I just wanted to touch on. You know, news, sports news. Yeah, I'm all for the sports news. And then I feel like we have to talk about the last two episodes of The Last Dance before we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we are doing something new in our podcast. Speaking of the patrons, the patrons on our um new initiatives we're going to do a shout out on all of our podcasts and tonight's cyclone fanatic super patron shout out goes to john and darla shaben who we actually saw on the zoom call elisa you pointed that out yeah i was like you said that and i was like that name sounds so familiar yeah and we i was saw like yeah there. i saw them on the zoom call That's so john cool. graduated from iowa state in 1993 and he actually grew up in a large family of hawkeye fans in small town southwest iowa i'm sure someone named jared can relate to that <laughs> uh, but as a sophomore in high school he decided he wanted to go to iowa state and he's been a cyclone ever since 
he and his wife decided to become Cyclone Fanatic super patrons because they love the content on the site. They like to be kept up, up to date on Iowa State news, and they want to support small businesses like Cyclone Fanatic, which is really awesome. So thanks again to John and his wife, Darla, for their support of Cyclone Fanatic. And as a reminder, if you are interested in becoming a premium subscriber, check out all of the incentives, which include shoutouts like these, insider information that Chris usually releases Monday mornings, and then um, the Zoom call we're about to discuss, and you can check it all out at cyclonefanatic.com. So with that, Elisa, you thought the Zoom call was pretty awesome. I did too. Yeah, I know. I really did. And I got on a little bit late, um, and I then had to leave a little bit early. Um, I, I had to feed my child, and I didn't think that that was the kind of premium content that people were really paying for. So, <laughs> Well, maybe on a different website. I don't know. <laughs> so I uh, dipped out a little bit early. But what I did hear was really cool and really interesting. And it was just cool to hear about the season that we don't know if it's going to happen or not. And then it was also really cool to hear about the stuff that Sage does with the team still. And I mean, he said it himself, like he isn't one of the coaches. They have coaches, they have quarterback coaches, but um, hearing, you know, that he got with Brock to look at NFL tape, that was really interesting. And then um, he, he did name, he, he gave a name to the move that I feel like Brock could improve upon, the Chuck and Duck. <laughs> I loved that. I, that's definitely um, something that I, I can see him doing I, in my head when I, like, when I close my eyes, it's, it is the Chuck and Duck. And just talking about, you know, if he can, uh, you know, stop throwing off the back leg when he gets uh, pressure then he could really do some damage in the NFL. But then also talking about, you know, that that he does have the pressure because maybe some weaknesses and the O-line and stuff like that. And I don't know. I, I just think that Sage had some really insightful uh, thoughts and it was really cool to have him there. And I'm interested to see what other, you know, Cyclone celebrities that they get for the next upcoming calls. And I got to say, I've craved uh, community pretty bad. You know, yeah. during this quarantine, and I know Zoom does not necessarily fix that, but it sure helps <laughs> from time to time. Yeah, and it really did just feel like we were all sitting together, just as a group of Cyclone fans, a Cyclone community, which is my favorite part about Cyclone Fanatic. Um, and so it really, you know, satisfied that part of what I've been craving for sure. So I'm looking forward Definitely. to them. And again, if you're interested in doing it, check it out. Um, it's a twenty dollar a month subscription, and that alone, I think, was worth it. Yeah. And I think that one thing that I talked about when we started talking about doing this, when I worked for WHO TV, we would do uh, live chats during sound off. Uh, I would just, you know, start a live chat. This has been many moons ago, but I would start a live chat and people would jump on. And more often than not, it was a lot of people from out of town who were watching via we uh, live streamed the the episode as well. But it was people from out of town and they're like, nobody around here wants to talk about Iowa or Iowa State, you know, and I can jump on this chat and talk to people about Iowa and Iowa State. And I feel like I'm back home again. And I think that that could be a really cool thing, too. You know, if you're a listener and you're listening from out of town and, you know, your neighbors across the way don't want to talk about Iowa, Iowa State. They want to talk about, you know, Yukon or whatever, Cal Poly, who knows, wherever you live. I just think that getting onto this and, and starting that community, that's that's what the 
Cyclone Fanatic is really about. It's about community. And so, I don't know. I think it's cool. And I think it's a cool opportunity that we've given people. And I'm really excited to be a part of it, too. Me, too. I agree. It was successful, for sure. Yeah. And good job, Jared, with the uh, technical... I don't know what's the word. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as hard as I expected it to be. <laughs> you did a good job. Thank you. Yep. Um, okay, Lisa, let's talk about NASCAR, okay? Do it. So yesterday was the first time I've ever watched a full NASCAR race start to finish. And oh, I well, then it. I'm more of a fan than you. Well, and I've watched I'm them in the past, joking. like just, you know, like turning it on and then I've walked away, but I've never intentionally watched one. And I did it for a yeah. couple different reasons. Obviously, we're around Chris and Connor a lot, and yes. they love to talk about it. Um, plus, it's just sports and competition, which I'm craving right now, just like everybody. And yeah. there was the interesting aspect of other sports watching to see how NASCAR did this, and if it was successful, trying to adopt whatever mechanisms they had in place. So there's a yeah. lot riding on it, you know? Um, but we made it fun. Me and the girls each picked a car before the race started. And we made a bet because I'm, you know, into raising betting girls, I guess. Because you're Michael Jordan now. That's right. Just call me MJ. Degenerate gambler. That's right. I just want to raise a couple of degenerates. And I asked Corey, <laughs> who's four, what she wanted to put on the line. And she told me her dance trophy. Whoa. I, I know. It was real. And then I raised it and I said, the winner gets two desserts. So Whoa. it was intense. It was intense. Dang, and you got to call me next time. I want two desserts. <laughs> Here's the thing. You can just get two desserts. I mean, but if you I want, want in our, in our degenerate though. ways, that's fine. You know what? I, I just want to know that I have your desserts in my pocket. Oh, oh, this is sorry. I don't know if I just blew your ears out, Lisa. I just talked really loud. Did no. I? Okay. Um, all right. That's fair. Next time you can get in on it. <laughs> but as the race went on, it became clear that Corey's car was not going to beat my car, and she got kind of sad about it. So I let her Aww. join on with me, and uh, it turns out we all had two desserts. So everybody won. Nice. Yes, we all got a participation nice. trophy. But we had a, we I had a really good I would have said double time. or nothing. Yeah, she's four, and I didn't want to ruin it desserts. for her. <laughs> but it was good. I think it, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. Um, I'll be tuning in. I think there's a race Wednesday that I'll watch. And I think Sweet. as far as other sports go, it was pretty successful. Um, they were very adamant about their social distancing. There were temperature check checkpoints before they could even get in. Um, there were smaller teams allowed. And I think for the most part, it went pretty well. So I'm sure yeah. the MLB, NFL, you know, everybody I'm sure is watching closely. Yeah. Uh, did you tune in at all, Lisa? Nope. Okay. Well, there's your recap. Not even kind of. You know what? We were trying to we were trying to find the Bundesliga on Bundesliga. Is that how you say it? Anyway, we were trying to find soccer. <laughs> we were trying to find soccer, but we couldn't find it. Um, we looked all over. We looked on ESPN and Fox Sports, and we just couldn't find it. So well, we didn't get any. That's your loss. I know. Because I'm, I'm a big have. fan now. <laughs> I'll watch on Wednesday. Maybe I'll tweet about it on our Title IX uh, Twitter. Okay. Do you want to double or nothing on desserts? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. All right. It's on the line. Um, I got your other uh, favorite sport, baseball. I'm sure you've seen um, their negotiations for a return to play. And there's two holdups right now. One of them is salary, which is just going to mm -hmm. drive me insane. And I'll only talk for a second about it. But my whole position on this is... If you can't come to a one-year temporary agreement during a global pandemic 
and you're going to be greedy about it, whichever side you're on, it's going to really be hard for me to come back next year or whenever things return to normal and be just jolly about returning. Yeah. But the other I side, just want to know, are you are you team owner or team player, though? I don't really care. I just think there needs figure it out. Figure it out. Are you team owner or are you team player? I'm I'm team player. I, these billionaire owners are being not nice people, I think. You well, have plenty of money, and you're just mad you're going to get a little bit of a pay cut, and so you're making everyone else take a pay cut because you're going to take one pay cut after making millions upon billions every year. But they're not making money right now. They don't need to make money. They're billionaires. <laughs> well, so are the players. You know what I mean? I mean, I could flip it around. Yeah. I just, uh, but the owners have a lot more money than the players. Like yeah. the difference between, like, the difference between like twenty million and a billion is substantial. Jared, what do you want to say? I mean, if we're gonna talk about who's standing to lose more money this year, I mean, if you lose half your contract, half of your twenty million dollar contract, you still make ten million dollars. The the teams are losing like. $200 million just on gate revenue. Probably more. And nothing, and the, my sticking point is none of this is, well, at least as far as I understand, none of this is going to, they're talking about a temporary, like, let's just put this Band-Aid on during the pandemic just to make it work for everybody. It's not like anything, it's not like a salary cap issue they're trying to sneak in as far as I understand. The only problem is I think their CBA is up after this year. Yeah. So, I mean, I can understand I just think where you that- don't want to give up negotiating leverage yeah i yeah. think the owners are are i think the owners are using this as a opportunity and i don't think anyone should be using a pandemic as an opportunity yeah that's fair and i appreciate that part of it i mean the truth is i just want baseball true the, the other part of it is the safety which i mean I, we all agree that we don't want anybody to go back unless it's safe i get it but yeah. Um, so Ken Rosenthal tweeted out the part of the 67-page agreement that's come out about how they have to, the measures that need to be in place to make this work. And I don't know. I read it and my anxiety spiked. There's just so much. I mean, it's no spitting, no exchanging of lineup cards. You're changing the baseball anytime multiple players and touch it. Um, you're spreading the players. Don't they do that anyway? They go like through hundreds of baseballs. They do go through, yeah. So it's like thousands. Um, You're spreading out the dugout, so only essential players in the dugout, and then they're putting the other players in the stands. And all of this is fine, um, but it was just a reminder of the crazy amount of measures that need to be in place to make this work, and it made my head hurt. Very bad. You guys ever heard about the baseball shortage that they had? Actually. Yeah, like last year. There weren't enough baseballs. Well, there was just barely. There were like minor league teams. So they get their balls like from, you know, minor league, minor league baseball, major league baseball, whoever. Like they have some deal. I think it's with Rawlings. Um, but there were minor league teams that ended the season with like two boxes of a dozen baseballs left. Like total. total. That's it. <laughs> Whoa. Well, we're gonna. Have, well, I guess the good news is we're probably not gonna have minor league baseball as far in terms of the baseball sort shortage. But that's why they, you know, there's a theory that they. Because they changed the balls, yeah, the, and the balls flew more. Yes. Mm. Oh, we know about and this. Yeah, theory. this is a whole this is a whole deal. But then there was the theory that they changed them back for the postseason, and it was because they 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 didn't have enough baseballs, so they had to 
they had to go back to the old ones so that they could get back to using so they would have enough to get all the way through the playoffs that's really depressing actually (laughs) figure it out if you're gonna do this conspiracy do it right well i mean it's just one of those things where i i would think that people would probably notice it more but there's so many things in there too like the licking your fingers yeah uh, mm. Pitchers are already talking about how they're well. They're talking about how they're going to enforce the putting things on the ball rule a lot more. I don't know if you guys heard about the Angels clubhouse guy that was selling. Well, I can't remember what they call it. There's some sort of substance that he would be selling to players to pitchers on opposing teams, and apparently this happens everywhere that they could put on their hands and then could put on the ball, and it makes it so you can grip the ball better. Which they do rub those balls down, but when you pull a brand new baseball mm-hmm. out, even if it's been rubbed down, it's still going to be slick. Right. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I would like to know that the guy who's going to throw it 102 miles an hour has a little grip. He has has a pretty good uh, <laughs> yeah. feel for his grip with a baseball, and isn't in any right. way questioning whether or not he can hold the ball as well as he needs to. And that's where uh. all the pitchers are like, they're, they're like, I mean, we don't do it to load up the ball right we We do do it because right we do it because we don't want to kill someone right yeah it's gonna be weird and I think I want baseball to happen more than anything um but it's just I think I need to accept the fact that it's not going to look like baseball as we know knew it but that's just the case with anything there's just so much that has to go into this to make it work and I'm growing more and more disheartened I guess at every time I think about you know, every time I think we take one step forward, I see something that makes me think we took three steps back. So I just don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find mm-hmm. out soon enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing with, like, payment and coming out to play, uh, I would wonder if now in their next CBA there will be some sort of uh, – how did they not have rules in there already about if the season was shortened? Baseball is, well, like, the one sport that they've – literally quit in the middle of the year i wonder if they did i wonder if this is just one of those act of god scenarios that was in the con i don't know i haven't that's actually a really interesting question not gonna go look why wouldn't they prorate the contract i mean i I don't care what the players say right if you're paid to play if your contract is written for you to pay play 162 games and you're only gonna play 80 then how does it make any sense for you to get paid would you what would what you would make to play 160 i agree with you completely i mean it's just like the nba players it's like NBA players aren't you're not playing basketball you're not doing your job so but it's not their you know in fairness in that one it's not their choice to not play base or play basketball right now so I guess it's a little bit different in that sense but it's like if I'm a if I was a baseball owner I'd be like y'all aren't your contract is for 162 games it's not for 80 like we got to figure out a way to prorate these things well, and that's why I, also, I get frustrated because it, and I understand that the amount of money we're talking here is more than I can even imagine. And I get why I get why there's greed on both sides. I get why there's frustration on both sides. But it, I'm I side with Chris pretty strongly on this. I'm sure you've heard him talk about how there's a moral obligation to turn to sports. I absolutely agree with that. I think and I appreciate why people don't. But this is your job. You get paid millions of dollars to play a sport that is for our entertainment and there's something to be said about what that entertainment value brings to society. And I just feel like the safety stuff aside, which I there that is completely valid and we need to make sure that's safe. But the money part of it, guys, figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, too, you look at baseball. I mean, how many guys really are making enough money that it's like, oh, we've got to prorate this contract because, you know, you know, if you only make two million dollars a year, then, OK, we'll probably be able to figure out how to make that work. But yeah. if you make 30, 
and to play 100. So then all of a sudden you're making whatever. Per pitch. Yeah, almost $500,000 a game. Yeah. Like that. that's insane. And that's where it's like maybe if they could figure out some way to uh, say, okay, we'll pay you this for this year. Right. But then we will tack some of that money onto the future years of your deal and like space it out to where it's like basically we'll have a bunch of Bobby Bonilla situations and I and that's tricky too because how do you figure out one player from the other and you know are there tiers I don't know well yeah it's got to reach like a certain point right where it's like this would not this would be a ridiculous amount of money for this many games I just know that like I said I mean it comes down to this for me if you can't get it figured out for just a short one season deal I'm gonna be pissed off and I and I know I am a I'm a loyal baseball fan if I'm pissed off people who don't really care aren't coming back also say if you don't want to come back and play by now then how bad do you want to play anyway right like if i, if I so was an owner I'd be i like, have a couple things to, to say play. what can i butt in here yeah sorry so i but, think yeah. that something great would be if all of the owners paid for all of the players to they'll take the players will take the pay cut but all of the owners will pay an insurance so if one of the players gets the virus and they aren't able to play or something then they have this insurance covered. And if the owners aren't willing to do that, then that means to me that they don't think that it's safe. And all of this, like I get, I want sports more than anybody, but I also like a good friend of mine's grandpa just died. And a really good family friend of ours just got the virus. And it's like, this shit's real. And if, if, the these players are afraid that they're going to get it or you know they have to spend how long is the season going to be two three months they have to spend those two or three months in one city you know we they all end up playing in one city and they have to spend their their whole time there they have to be away from their family for that long and the owners sit in their house quarantined with no risk absolutely no risk staying at home with their families like I think that there's there is a little bit of like a risk reward thing here and I think that we're understating the risk that the players are taking by going back out there and playing for our entertainment. I don't think eliminating it is feasible if in terms of a return. I mean people are going to get sick period. That's just the way it is until we figure out a treatment or a vaccine. And that's going to happen regardless of whether we have sports or not. People are just going to keep getting sick because people still have to live. And so I tend to err on the side of if you don't want to play because you're freaked out by it, you don't have to play. But if you do want to come back and you're willing to accept the risk, you also need to accept the fact that you're playing a shortened season and don't deserve the entirety of your contract. But I understand that you should probably, maybe there needs to be something built in to appreciate that risk. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I would say that, too, that people who do come back and play should not be, you know, derided as scabs or anything like that. <laughs> people who are crossing some sort of picket line. Like right. That, that's not right. Not really what it is. Yo, I totally agree with that, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even if we, can, if we can find a treatment, though, too, it's mm-hmm. like people still get sick. We just right. can't know how to treat them better. Right. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't know. There's yeah. a lot of variables to play. But this is where I think, like, basketball would be the easier one to figure out just because there's fewer teams. It's going to be a... I mean, they could play the entire NBA playoffs in probably three weeks if they really wanted to, like, cook through it, you know? Yeah. So it's just – I think that that should be the first one that gets gets it figured out because it seems like the one that would be the logistically easiest one to do. 
Yeah, I do think initially I thought baseball would be the easier one logistically, but after seeing that 67-page document, I think you're right, which is crazy, but I don't care. Just bring something back for the love of God. (laughs) I was reading about what that WNBA wants to do, and the commissioner was just talking about, like, and it's kind of compared to the NBA. They share a lot of the same resources, like the medical experts and everything like that, but she did say they probably wouldn't play in the same city or the same venue. Uh, But they did say they were looking at playing possibly just at one site, the whole season at one site. Um, And I actually, I talked to somebody who works in professional soccer, and he said that that was an option for them too. Um, That, you know, that was something that they had talked about as well. And that that's tough for their families, you know, they, especially just some of the guys who don't maybe make as much money it's a it's an easier blow if you're making a couple million uh to take two months away from your family um than it is if you're in the WNBA and making you know not quite as much um but I mean this year they the WNBA was going to take most of July and early August off for the Olympics anyway so they were going to have a shortened season anyway um they were scheduled to start May 15th I, I mean, I feel like they would possibly be the easiest ones to get a season in. Um, you know, testing is vital. The commissioner said that we have to have testing figured out. We have to be able to test if we want to, you know, willy-nilly. Whoever wants to test can get one. And the WNBA, a technical term, willy-nilly? Willy-nilly. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what she said. No, it she's seems, way more right. professional. We do have best yeah. testing in the world. <laughs> hmm. anyway uh, anyway uh but yeah i think that they could start playing they could uh they're gonna start paying the players june 1st which is i think when their first paycheck was supposed to come and they're paying them as expected but there's still like salary talks with the union so nothing is for sure yet but it sounds like everyone's getting their full paycheck on june 1st even though they're not starting to play and a lot of the teams also have cut from cut down to like 12 or 15 players and they were saying you know if they could get down to 12 players per team it would be a lot easier so they're pretty they're deep into it deep into trying to figure it out and i guess i will say um i'm gonna stop being a negative nancy and be positive patty for two seconds um i guess it's good that we're all talking about talking I mean it's better than a month ago when when it kind of felt like everything was at a total standstill and at this point we've seen documents that suggest proposals and even if that's not ultimately you know what's what we go with or what these leagues go with at least there's people trying and putting pen to paper and putting plans in place and that's a start because this isn't going away anytime soon or at least you know I don't think it is I hope it is but I don't think it is so as long as we're moving forward and having these discussions, we're, you know, that's better than we were. So there, there's my positive take. You're welcome. I think the <laughs> direness of the situation Agreed. is starting to become more and more real to the, uh, everybody. Monetarily. I mean, especially, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially like, I mean, if I'm an owner, I would say to a player and I, and it's not trying to like push him into doing things, it's just being real, you know, take for instance, uh, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo. The guy who owns the if the guy who owns the Milwaukee Bucks said, "Yo, man, I know you've talked about possibly going to the Warriors, or there's the rumors you're gonna go to the Warriors." Well, if you want to make thirty-five million dollars from the Warriors in two years when your contract's up, we probably better figure out a way to play. Because right. 
the salary cap is going to be drastically impacted. That's going to drop max contracts. That's going to make it to where every team has to. I mean, it would completely shift the entire balance of the league financially to where it's like we don't have – you don't have a place to play and make $30 million playing a basketball, playing basketball. You don't have a place to play and for $30 million playing baseball. That's to me right now it's like – you want to play like do you want to make all this money in the future well we got to figure out a way to play tonight, play now and that's a great point because what is happening now is going to impact these leagues for a long time long time and yeah. especially and the longer this goes the longer it will last so i mean I, I mean that's obvious but you know i think and i think the changes that i think the changes that we're seeing now are obviously temporary changes but some of the the health factors may not change for a long time there may be fans who are scared for years to come and all of that's going to affect the bottom line so it's amazing how money motivates you know um elisa before we take a break was there anything else you wanted to mention about the WNBA? no i don't think so okay. i i think that it would just be really cool to you know get them in an arena it'd be really cool to get them in our arena but i don't know i don't know if, if i was ready for it but i i'm i think it'd be cool you know i i've been talking to people that i work with and we have some really cool stuff figured out and like just the seating um you know seating groups of people six feet away from other people my coworker was working on something you know like that and and i sat in on a um on a webinar about you know mitigating risks within the arena and i think i think arenas are ahead of the game here more than we think um so i think that there's there's possibilities and i think it'd be cool if we got it here but i also think it'd be cool if i could sit on my couch and watch it somewhere (laughs) too um i'm just I just want I want everybody to get it figured out and I want everybody to I want risk to be zero. I know that that's not possible, but I I just want risk to be the same as if we were all chilling at home. Well, I hope hanging we with our 10 soon. people. Um all right, let's take a quick break and then we can talk about the last dance really quick. How's that sound? Great. Okay. Okay, so last night, Sunday night, we had the last two episodes of The Last Dance, and obviously everybody watched, everybody's talking about it. I just wanted to know what your maybe top three favorite moments were, Elisa and Jared, because I have a couple that I want to talk about. Of the whole thing, or no, of just, just last well, night? I guess it doesn't, mine were of last night. Yeah. Um, one of mine, which this kind of is last night, and the whole thing is the iPad reactions. Yes. <laughs> They're just so Agreed. damn good. Agreed. I could have. I, I saw this a couple of times on Twitter, and I totally agree. I could have watched him do that for an hour straight and never gotten bored. <laughs> he was so salty. It was oh really my entertaining. Gosh. Um, Steve Kerr, I thought was a highlight of. Yes. What a gem. Let's just protect him at all costs. Right. I mean, like after he talked about his dad, and then they sh- they s- cut to him like what. Well, sitting there during the national anthem i was like oh you got me here you got me he got me too he's just one of those (sighs) people that has a soft he's soft spoken but what he speaks carries a lot of weight yeah which i think is a rarity now yeah Um, and then my other top three was i was thinking about well the pizza the food poisoning (laughs) 
which right. was just bizarre, by the way. Right. We'll talk about it in a minute. But um, I had a weird thought about it. And we've always known it as the flu game. And I was thinking about it of in today's world. So the flu game doesn't happen now. If, if the flu game happens in 2020, Michael's not playing. And if right. he does play and doesn't tell anybody and we find out later that he had these symptoms, we think he's the most irresponsible human on the planet. Right. And I just thought about how until this year, I always thought it was so heroic of him to come out and play with the flu. And now I'm like, that's right. disgusting. How dare you? <laughs> and it's just amazing how my perspective has completely shifted on that. Like, think about Fred Hoiberg when this all was starting, how he was like showing flu symptoms basically on the bench and we were when he was yeah 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 during the Um, big 10 tournament right yeah and we're all just like oh my gosh this is a bad look i thought fred was gonna die yeah that was terrible (laughs) i was in kansas city like dude fred's about to die he looked like hell Mm -hmm. looked like hell i'm yeah and it turns out it was just he was just like influenza b or something right just your everyday flu which We've all been there and we've all, you know, we've all gone to work not feeling great. But when you think about, I mean, it, during the, the show last night, he's so sweaty, just disgusting, just sweat coming out of every pore. And think of if he had had the flu and not this fake food poisoning that he talked about, <laughs> how many right. germs he spread. So I, I just, uh, yeah, that was a weird perspective shift for me. Yeah. I heard somebody talk about that. Like, how, how would the the pizza place know that it was Michael Jordan that they were bringing a pizza to. There's a guy who called into Dan Patrick today. I heard this. Who said that his best friend was the one who ran the pizza place and delivered the pizza to Michael and it was only him. He said there was no, there was not five people there. Wow. I think that whole thing's made up. Yeah. Made up the whole thing. I mean, he made up so many other things just to get himself motivated. Why not the pizza, pizza gate? Right. Yeah. Can I, can I zag on you guys here for a second? Zig and zag. Uh, my favorite part of last night was that it was over. Honestly, <laughs> why? Well, I thought you liked it. No, I, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it, you know. But it, it, as it went on, more and more every week, I started to dread watching it, and I would pay less and less mm-hmm. attention while it was on. And it wasn't because it wasn't good. It is because I have soured on Michael Jordan as a human being so incredibly much that is that I, I couldn't stand it. Like through this, you've mm-hmm. soured on him. You yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, we all knew he was you know the greatest, we all knew whatever. he was a great basketball player. We all knew, but we all knew too that like it's no secret that Michael Jordan was an asshole. That's not we didn't need ten hours of a documentary to tell us that. What what was mm-hmm. so disappointing to me, and I think it's something that when if Michael gets an opportunity. Maybe not today, but in the future to look back at the way that this was handled. I would like to think that unless Michael is just completely unself-aware, he will regret this. He he will not like this as well. Mm, I think he. I think he's just yeah self unself-aware. But well, or he's extremely self-aware and he's okay with it. This to me felt like ten hours of Michael getting an opportunity to tell everybody again how great he was, and to get his last word on everybody. But that's just how yeah. he is. But that's fine. But if I was a, a former player and I saw the way that I was portrayed and the way Michael Jordan treated me in this thing, why would I ever agree to do anything ever again? Why would Gary Payton agree to ever be in another documentary? Why would Isaiah Thomas ever agree to be in another documentary? Have, John Stockton, whoever. And, and that's why so many people said no. So, have, have we seen what Scotty's had to say? Scotty's pissed too. I'd be pissed if I was Scotty. I think he got... I think they portrayed him... Un- 
you know, unfavorably, and then they tried to rehab it a little bit, and then they'd portray him unfavorably. And then at the end, I thought it worked out, but at, there were moments I was like, Scotty, you're a B, you know? Do you guys think, <laughs> And I don't think that's true. Do you think that Michael Jordan in 2020 has a true, genuine friend that is his friend because he is not Michael Jordan? I actually wondered about that. I think that um, his... Uh, was it Gus, the security guard? Yeah. I think that, I think relationships like that were genuine, but those were more of like a father-son than a true friendship. I was wondering about the same thing. Because I just think you can tell from the way his teammates talk about him, it still seems like none of them really like him. You know, they're, they're probably grateful of the fact that they got to be around him and it put them in a position to be more successful. But it's like, I just, I looked at all these different things and you see how many people he has just derided for so long. Patrick Ewing's like, I don't need to watch that. Michael's told me every day for my entire life that how much he's beat me. Yeah. You know, like no one likes Michael. And I think that there's going to be a time where, you know, Michael's going to look back at his life and be like, man, I burned every bridge by being an ass. And then I went and threw more gas on the fire <laughs> with a 10 hour documentary in the middle of a global pandemic. And that to me is like, I mean, you look at Kobe like, and I don't want to, I don't want to make it a comparison thing. But as soon as Kobe got out of the game, he made it about growing the game more. Michael Jordan has not grown the game in the 20 years since Michael Jordan's career ended. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that, and, and then he just goes back and, and craps all over his era by, by taking a dump on all the great players, the other great players. This That's is fascinating, rant. too, because you were on okay. Twitter just saying, like, bring it. Like, we it was needed great. early. I mean, yeah, as a documentary, it was awesome. But it just, to me, that was... It, it was just really disappointing. So you appreciated the documentary, but you're just disappointed at the way that you feel about Michael Jordan as a person. Mm -hmm. now. That's fair. I think that's completely fair. I think I would agree with that. I, um, as far as his, I'm impressed by the way, the guy's like a, he's an assassin. I mean, he is just killer instinct. He will do, he will win at all costs. And there are very few people in the world that are like that. And he's one of them. And for better, for worse, I mean, you can criticize how he did it, but he, I mean, that guy was going to win and he was going to find a way to win. And I think that part of it is admirable. I think the way that he, I think, like you said, is probably a very lonely human now is unfortunate. And it's just, I think that he was put on the world to do one thing and that was be a stone cold killer on the basketball floor. Yeah. And he did it. And he did it. And, and you know what? Like if, if that was all that matters to him, then, then that's perfectly fine. But I think that you can see with his last lack of success as a general manager and as an owner in the NBA, that being an asshole doesn't work all the time when all of a sudden you've got to be able to to schmooze up to people right and even his he's made a ton of money with jordan with the jordan brand michael jordan's not in there designing shoes you know so it's like he's made a ton of money off being michael jordan right and like and i respect the hell out of that i wish i could make a ton of money off being a jared sansbury yeah but that to me is just you will someday you will <laughs> your day is coming jared uh, but it's just it i i have a hard time sitting and calling Michael a, a business mogul right no Michael signed a huge endorsement deal that turned into one of the biggest brands in the entire world and it's him he is the uh -huh. brand Michael didn't do anything besides be a great basketball player and now he's turned and that he into in being with, a, a mediocre owner and a, and a horrible NBA GM what were you gonna say and he got in with Nike before they were Nike I mean before they were mega yeah and he didn't even want to take the meeting which is wild his mom made sense. him <laughs> yeah his mom made him good for you mom yeah yes. i um the one moment maybe the people will not like me for that because they'll just say that i hate michael but i i just think i i respect the hell out of him as a player like he's still the greatest of all time 
but I just I just have a hard time with that. I do think it matters to him a little bit, though, um, because there was that moment I, I forget which episode it was, and it was between. Let me think about this. Nine, seven, and eight, maybe when he got choked up um, about how he rides people until you know, or you know whether he's perceived as a kind human or whatever. And he got choked up. And it was basically the only time, with the exception of talking about his dad, that he got showed any emotion whatsoever. So it makes me wonder if it actually does bother him more than he leads on, lets on. I don't know. I didn't see, but was it that it? It bothered because he tried to justify it to himself, but I wanted them to have the success with me. And I was like, okay, I get that. But like, at what cost? Yeah. Yeah. At what cost? Because I would be interested to know, and this is the kind of thing that I wish had been asked and maybe nobody would have answered the question. When's the last time Scottie Pippen talked to Michael Jordan? Right. When's the last time Steve Kerr really sat down and talked to Michael Jordan? Well, I, I, or my, Bill Winnington. And my question last night after Steve Kerr's, Alisa, you mentioned this too, after he's talking about his dad and they say, Did you ever talk to Michael about it? I was like, And he said, No. I'm like, What do you mean you didn't talk to Michael about it? Your dads were both murdered. How is that not something you ever discussed? Like, that's. I don't think they knew him as a person at all. But uh, that's what I'm saying. That yeah. is shocking to me. Uh, it's not to me because I, I just. Well, it's shocking to me only because I share everything with everybody. <laughs> I just don't think he could... I, I truly believe that he cannot relate to anyone. Because he's a stone-cold assassin. Yeah, yeah, and that's what makes him so bad in business is that he's just like... He looks at everybody as being... He looks at it like, I'm going to do everything I can to kill this person. When at the end of the day, like... That's not always That's not the effective way of doing right. that. I, if I was a player, I would never want to play for Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly he figured out how to win on the court and... That didn't necessarily translate in in business, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sad. And this over. all came. Go ahead, Elisa. Well, this all came on the tail of like his speech at Kobe's funeral too, and like that that speech made him look like such a human, you know, and such like a caring human, and somebody who had real connections with people, and then. I don't know. It just seems like a different person that was there for this, for the documentary. Because I came off of Kobe's funeral just loving Jordan. Like, oh my gosh, their relationship was so, like, genuine. And then it's like, okay, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just business. I'm sure it was. I mean, maybe he's just a lot better at being genuine when he's not in front of the camera, you know? Or maybe, I don't, I don't yeah. know. But I just... I think that there's a reason that when Kobe got out of the NBA, his, like, as a human being approval rating was basically unanimous of everybody loved him. I don't yeah. think hardly anybody liked Michael when he left the NBA. It's probably one of those things where they're like, thank goodness he's gone, you know, and not just because now we can finally win. Michael I think there are people, though. No one wanted, to, no one wanted NBA, him to come back. I think that there are people I think there are people who want to be liked and there are people who want to be successful maybe not everybody wants to be liked I I want to be liked so it's hard for it's a novel concept for me but maybe you know maybe that's not what he's living for and it's tough for me to say that because like okay now you're like also gambling and you have a gambling issue and you have all these other issues and you know like all of his personal issues okay maybe there's you know something that you need to work out but maybe there's just people who don't want to be liked and that's not their like main goal yeah 
He's made a lot of I money. I wish I wanted to be liked less. <laughs> yeah, me too, Lisa. <laughs> Jared, will you like us less? Uh, no, I want you to if like If I'm told to change the settings on the loopback uh, anymore, <laughs> I might like. I might not like you guys as we much. We had some technical problems before we started the podcast, and Jared was about ready to stab me, and he's about ready to throw his computer <laughs> with a Lisa on it. So, <laughs> whatever, Jared. You love us. Um, okay, last question I have before we sign off for the night. If you could pick another athlete or team to have a 10-episode documentary about, who would it be? I saw this? somebody posted this. Yeah. Honestly, Elisa, this is something we shared. Um, I forget what, you know, if it was in a text or in our Facebook Messenger or Instagram Messenger or one of the 17 ways we talk to each other every day. But mine might be the 1999 uh, U.S. Women's yeah. World Cup team. Which they're going to have a documentary, aren't they? Yeah. There, Isn't that who the Netflix documentary yep. is about? Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's what you sent me. Netflix is going to do, yeah, yeah. I think, a movie about them. But I did some research into it and they're being very vague and I don't know if they're being mm. intentionally secretive or if it's just that early in the early stages yeah. but Elisa we should tweet that yeah okay all right we'll do that so here, that here are my thoughts here are my people Tiger Woods yeah Tiger Woods is on there Lance Armstrong he gets two parts Starting this <laughs> like weekend. I want I want to hear Serena Williams I want to hear about the greatest of the greatest of their sports. You know what I mean? Like, Tiger Woods, like, I want to hear about his relationship with his dad. I want to hear about the infidelity. I want to hear from his wife, ex-wife. You know, like, I want to hear all the dirty details. I want to hear uh, from the doctor holding the needle you know, sticking it and sticking the needle in Lance Armstrong's butt, you know? Like, I want these dirty details of the just shady things that go down to win. What would yours be, Jared? I think the unfortunate reality is that there's not that many subjects or teams or eras that are, one interesting enough and to have enough figures to make it worth mm. 10 hours okay like so tiger's story could be a long yeah and it could have a lot of pieces but i just i don't know you could fill that much time with just yeah tiger, you i know? agree i mean i think it has to be something that is very prolonged like the one that came to my mind was and i know there would be people who would criticize me for saying this but i do if you could truly get people to be honest and tell real stories I truly believe a documentary about Nebraska football from like 1983 or mm. probably like the year when they lost to Miami in the Orange Bowl where they tried to go for two until Tom Osborne retired would be absolutely fascinating. You had two Heisman or you had a Heisman Trophy winner. You had a couple guys who probably should have won the Heisman. You had one guy who was is now is now dead because he was killed in prison and at that time had beat up his girlfriend you had a lot of guys who were getting hit with domestic assault and things like that there are so many stories about that era that are untold and they were cheating their asses off with you know uh doing steroids and all that kind of stuff i think that if you could get people to be honest yeah. then it could make for a great story but that, you're never going to that's the key with any of it yeah you're right i mean people are so self-aware now they will never be honest right. to, to what's truly happening i mean i can't blame them either i, I think a perfect example is is what michael told about the food poisoning right because i i, I still do not believe that <laughs> yeah to be that was true. strange 
Um, Elisa, I'm sure that you noticed they're doing the um, the 30 for 30 on Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire that's getting released yeah. on my birthday. So happy birthday I went to, to a Cardinals game. Um, I was at on a band trip, and I went to a Cardinals game, and Mark McGuire was supposed to play, and he ended up not playing that game. And I, that, I just, like, so vividly remember being so insanely disappointed and I was literally the top row top row of like the <laughs> third base side so I mean he he might as well have been playing <laughs> I could barely see but oh gosh well now you I, can relive I'm it on my birthday I know I will <laughs> Okay, good. I want to watch a 10 part documentary uh, called Redemption the Scott Drew story <laughs> okay you and Chris can watch that together 10 parts has has taken over the Baylor program. <laughs> couldn't play a non-conference schedule. Just a program absolutely in ruins after an NCAA scandal. The death of a, a well, the murder of a player by another player leads him to the Elite Eight. Turns him into the one of the true powerhouses of college basketball in the Midwest. Potentially on the verge of winning a national championship in 2020 before a global pandemic curbs it all. You know. Mm-hmm. Scott Scott Drew just cannot catch a break. It's always the world is always against Scott Drew. Let me that should, t- let me that th- needs to be on the bottom of the poster. There we go. <laughs> it's done. Oh, we always think of the best ideas. We really do. <laughs> All right. We do kind of guys? have a what? we have we have kind of have this documentary about OJ. Isn't the thirty for thirty about OJ super long? Yeah, yeah it's seven hours. Yeah, I wouldn't know because I still haven't watched it yet. Sorry. <laughs> we have time. That one is a. Uh, that was pretty heavy. It was pretty so, heavy. So, see, we kind of have we kind of have other sports stars. It also covers like 40 years of time, so. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a lot. Well, that the uh Celtics and Lakers ones like 5 hours. Oh yeah. So, I mean, there are some out there that it's like you can really, you know, but it's got to be something that has a, won a lot of key people who are a still alive right. and B would like to talk. It's got to have some legs. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like you know, you, it would be tough to do a 10-hour documentary about the uh, about Murderer's Row, 1929, New York Yankees. Well, they're all dead, so... Well, that, that's what I'm saying. It would <laughs> yeah. be hard to do that documentary for 10 hours. <laughs> it would be. Um, Elisa, I... Okay. To everybody listening, Title IX, um, Betsy DeVos released some updated rules for Title IX, oh, and I was going to talk about it tonight, but it's 10 o'clock, and I'm tired, and I already, my brain cells are already fried. I mean, I'm at the point where the only thing I can watch on TV right now is, like, The Real Housewives, because I'm just so wiped out. I can't talk about it right now, so if people want to talk about it, tweet at us, and maybe we'll do it for the next episode. I'm not being irresponsible. I'm just wiped out. No, it's- I'm with you, and I wanted to talk about Phyllis George dying and. I don't have it in me either, and I don't think my cell phone has it in me. I just got the 10% warning. Okay, well, that's a sign. So, Let's just be done. <laughs> yeah. Slide into our DMs if you want to talk about this stuff. If you're really interested in it and want us to talk about it, we'll talk about it next time. Anything yeah. else, guys? Both show. All right. Well, Elisa, hopefully we'll see you in a couple of weeks in person, but if not, this works too. It works, All but right. yes, I'm hoping to see you in person. All right. Well, in the meantime, go Cyclones. Go State. <laughs>